0: chapter 20, John chapter 20. About 13 years ago, Don and I went on vacation to Cancun, Mexico. And one day we decided to go snorkeling out in the ocean. And so I love the ocean. I grew up going swimming. Being out in the ocean is not a big deal for me. I, I love to do stuff like that. And so we got out on the boat and it came time for the the, the captain of the boat to put the anchor down. He's like, okay, jump jump off, get, get off into the water. And so um, it wasn't a big deal for me. I put my mask on and I was about ready to jump off. And Don's like, now, wait a minute. I, I can't see without my glasses. I need to keep my glasses on. And the pilot's like, you can't keep your glasses on. She's like, well, I can't see without my glasses. And he started arguing with her. And finally, he basically almost ripped the glasses out of her, out of her hands, put the mask on and said, you got to get in the water. So Don jumped into the water. And she grabbed onto me for dear life, that entire experience. And we had a fun time snorkeling, and I felt a great sense of, of, a, a great sense of satisfaction as being a husband to serve my wife in that moment. Because for the entire time that we're snorkeling, she was just grabbing on to me. She would not let me go because she knew that I was her source of security. I was her source of safety. She was not dare going to let go of me. And no matter how hard she grabbed me, it was a great feeling of, of comfort for me as a husband to know that I was caring for my wife in those moments. And so we had a good day of snorkeling, even though she held on to me for dear life. Now, why do I bring up the situation where Don grabbed on to me for dear life well we're going to see mary magdalene grab on to jesus for dear life not wanting to let go of him okay there we go i had this always had this fear this is a side note i always had this fear my computer's going to freeze up and it almost did but it didn't so um I'm not totally bound to my manuscript, but I do need it for some help, so um, anyway, hopefully it stays, it stays there. So last week, we looked at Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. He was forsaken by his father. He was pierced, and he was buried in a garden tomb. And it almost seemed as if there was no hope. I'm sure his followers and the ladies, his mother, were confused, were perplexed, were anxious, maybe even frustrated, maybe even angry. But probably most of all, hopeless. Our Savior's died. They've put him in a tomb. All hope is gone. But yet something very miraculous happens on that Sunday morning. And that's where we draw our attention this morning, to the events surrounding the empty tomb. So let's begin in John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him, And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am descending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is Sunday morning at the empty tomb, just a few moments before dawn, very early in the morning. And Mary Magdalene is the first one there and she sees the stone rolled away and so she panics. She's not thinking about the resurrection. She's thinking about grave robbers. Somebody may have stolen the body. So in a panic, she runs back to the disciples. And she tells the disciples, especially Peter and John, they've taken the body. There's been grave robbers. He's not there. So Peter and John begin to run back to the tomb. And I love what John does. He adds in a little comical editorial comment there. I outran Peter to the tomb. And so John supposedly ran faster than Peter. And they get to the tomb. And they look inside the tomb. And there's just the grave closed there. And both Peter and John look in. And and it basically says they believed But they didn't quite, if you look at verse 9, they didn't understand the scriptures yet that Jesus must rise from the dead, so they went back home. But Mary stays at the tomb. Verse 11, Mary stood weeping. That word weeping in the original language means to wail uncontrollably. She's uncontrollably sobbing because her Savior is gone. She looks into the tomb, and what does she see? Verse 12, two angels in white, where the body of Jesus had laid, one at the head and one at the feet. And, and they say to her in verse 13, Woman, why are you weeping? Now, they're not saying this because she's, they're clueless. It's not like the angel's like, Mary, why are you crying? We, we know Jesus has risen from the dead. No, it's more of a, it's kind of a, a gentle rebuke. Mary, why are you crying? There's no reason to be crying. If you just knew the full story, you would not be crying. Now, we don't know what caused her to turn around. Maybe she heard a a rustling. Maybe she felt a presence. But in verse 14, she turned around, and she saw Jesus. Now, she did not know it was Jesus. She thinks it's the gardener. And he asks her the very same question. Verse 15, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She thinks he's the gardener. And notice what she says. It's very interesting. In verse 15, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. We don't know how big Mary Magdalene was, but she and her passion wanted to actually drag the body of Jesus somewhere. She's passionate about, tell me where his body is, and I will will go take the energy and find out where he is, and, and I'll move the body back to where he's supposed to be. But then in verse 16, you see this very powerful moment. Jesus said to her, Mary. And the Bible doesn't tell us, but maybe she heard the inflection in his voice that she had always heard maybe it was the way he said it to her and she turns around and she cries out rabboni rabboni which means teacher do you remember back in john chapter 10 where jesus says i'm the good shepherd what 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 relationship does the shepherd have with his sheep in John 10, 3-4. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. The shepherd is calling to one of his precious sheep, and Mary recognizes the voice of her shepherd And she knows it's Jesus. And she cries out, Rabboni, teacher. And then she does something very interesting. Verse 17, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. Literally, in the original text, stop grabbing a hold of me. She's probably grabbing his feet, holding on for dear life, maybe even cutting off Jesus' circulation. Now, you have to ask the question, why does Jesus tell her, don't cling to me, don't grab onto me, stop, stop grabbing a hold of me? It's not that Jesus is saying, don't touch me. Okay? It's not like, don't touch me, because in just a few moments, or actually just a, a, few, a few verses later, he's going to tell Thomas to touch him. Touch, touch my side, touch, touch my wounds. We also know that in Matthew's gospel, the women did touch Jesus. In Matthew 28, 9, And behold, Jesus met them and said greetings, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. So we have to understand what's going on here. Jesus is not prohibiting Mary from worshipping him. He's not shaming Mary. He's not putting a damper on the situation. There's something deeper going on here. You see, God has a plan for Jesus in the next 40 days. Jesus has to accomplish some things in the next 40 days before he ascends, before he goes back up to his Father. And so, we need to stop and understand this little situation where where Mary's grabbing onto his feet. So, I want us just to stop and I want us to think about Mary Magdalene. Maybe you've never done a study on Mary Magdalene before. Who is Mary Magdalene? What's her past? Why is this moment so important? What do we know about Mary Magdalene? We don't know a lot, but in Luke chapter 8, verse 2, we find these words. And also, some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. In Mark chapter 16, verse 9, now, when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She has seven demons. Seven to emphasize the intense terrible nature of being demon possessed not just one demon but seven demons and I can't even begin to imagine what it's like to be demon possessed you remember the man that was demon possessed that was living among the tombs that was crying out and wailing and Jesus cast out the legion of of demons and they went into the pigs and the pigs went over the cliff she has seven demons the Bible doesn't tell us how she suffered, how this manifested, all it says is that Jesus healed her of these seven demons. We don't encounter this much in America, but demon possession is very common in primitive cultures. The first time we went to India, we're going into a village, and this older couple was sick, and they wanted healing, and so they had gone to the local witch doctor. They had put all these Talamans in their little hut. And they wanted me as pastor to pray for them. And I said, I will pray for them, but I'm going to share the gospel first. Before, I'm not just going to pray for them, I'm going to share the gospel with them. So, I began to share the gospel on the porch with this couple. And then the witch doctor lady comes flailing into the village. I mean, that's basically what she was doing. Glazed over eyes, flailing, saying things I didn't understand demonic, coming right up to where I was about to begin preaching the gospel. And then the interpreter must have said something to her. I know it must have been God because she sat still on the ground, did not say a word for the entire time I'm sharing the gospel with this couple and praying. The moment I say amen, she pops right up off the ground and starts her flailing again. And you look into her eyes, and her eyes were glazed over with this demonic look in her face. Now, for me, that was a minor experience with the demonic of a woman who was probably demon-possessed. And yes, it freaked me out. But here we have Mary Magdalene with seven demons. And the Bible doesn't tell us how she suffered, only that she had seven demons and that Jesus healed her of those. But yet she is a powerful model of the liberating mercy that comes through the transforming power of Jesus to those who are in bondage to Satan. What does the Bible say about lost people? Second Corinthians 4.4 4. In their case, talking about unbelievers, the God of this world, that's Satan. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. So nonbelievers have been blinded by Satan from seeing the glory of Christ. 1 Timothy 2, 24-26 Paul's giving instructions to Timothy, the young pastor, about how a pastor needs to do his ministry. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And here's the important thing, verse 26. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Lost people without Jesus are captured by Satan. They're in bondage to Satan. They're blinded by Satan. Now, what I'm not saying, okay, here, here, here's not, not what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that every single lost person is demon-possessed, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But I am saying that every lost person is blinded by Satan. They are influenced in bondage to sin and Satan. So every lost person has that. But compounded upon that, Mary has seven demons. And Jesus frees her from that in his sovereign grace. That's not something you can easily get over, is it? That's not just something you get over. Mary had been forgiven much, so she loved much. Back in Luke chapter 7, there's another woman, not Mary Magdalene, another woman, the sinful woman. And if you remember the story of the sinful woman, she breaks the alabaster jar of ointment and she begins to pour it out on Jesus' feet and she washes Jesus' hair with her feet and, and the Pharisees get very offended by this. And what does Jesus say about this woman? In Luke 7, 47. Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Okay, the prostitute woman had been forgiven much. She loved much. Mary Magdalene had been saved from seven demons. She'd been liberated much. She loved much. When you've experienced the power of the gospel in your life in a very radical way, it's not something you can just get over. It's something that drives you to worship your Savior. She was a transformed woman. Listen to what John Calvinist said. Christ brought her out of the lowest hell that he might raise her to the highest heaven. She was passionately devoted to Jesus with an intensity that put the disciples to shame. I want you to think about Mary Magdalene for a moment. Everybody else bails on Jesus. She was one of the last ones there at the cross. She was one of the first ones there at the burial. And she's the first one there at the empty tomb. Where are the disciples? They're hiding out. Back in chapter 19, right before Jesus cried out, it is finished, we find out that Mary Magdalene was at the base of the cross. She was there with Jesus at the end. And in Matthew chapter 27, after Joseph and Nicodemus put Jesus into the tomb, Matthew 27 tells us that Mary was there sitting across from the tomb. She was there waiting. And then here, She's the first to the empty tomb. So she's a devoted woman to Jesus. She's there at the very end. She's the first one there at the morning. So you can imagine the passion, the joy, the overwhelming excitement she has when she sees Jesus and she hears those words. When she hears those words, Mary, when the shepherd calls the sheep by name, what does she do? She grabs onto him for dear life. And we should not fault Mary for doing that. All she could do in that moment was to grab onto him. And it's almost as if she's saying, Jesus, I want you all to my own and you can't go. You never can go. I'm going to hold on to you. It's like this dream come true where she's going to guard Jesus and not let him go. And we don't falter for that, but Jesus says, listen, you can worship me, but you can't control me. There's going to be more time, Mary, for us to have talks and relationships and and to to, to talk about the glories of of, of heaven and, and all these things over the next 40 days. But right now... I've got a mission for you. Interestingly, she's commissioned by Jesus to be an apostle to the apostles. Okay? She's the first person to see Jesus, and Jesus commissions her to go back and tell the apostles. Look at verse 17. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Jesus says, Listen, there's something that's going to happen in the near future. The next 40 days, I'm going to ascend to my Father. That just basically means Jesus is going to go back up to heaven. He's going to sit at the right hand of the Father, He's going to be our one mediator. But what's going to happen is between now and that time, Jesus has got a lot to do. He's got to appear to his disciples. He's got to appear to over 500 people. He's got to fulfill what God has in store for him to fill until he ascends back to his father. So this is going to be a time of temporary reunion. But she's got a mission to go tell the disciples the glorious News. And what does Jesus say to her? Go to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Now, why is it important that Jesus uses that language? Notice what he says. Go tell them my father and your father. That's very, very important. This is the very first time in the Gospel of John that the Father is referred to as your Father. Jesus has referred to him as my Father. Jesus has referred to him as the Father. This is the first time he says, Listen, things have changed now because of the empty tomb. He's now your Father. And go tell my brothers. Did you catch it? Go tell my brothers. Brothers, Now, that's not talking about Jesus' blood brothers, okay? They, they, They haven't believed yet. Because in the next verse, Mary goes and announces to the disciples. So what Jesus is telling to Mary is, listen, Mary, because of the empty tomb, because of my death, my burial, and resurrection, there is a new relationship open to you to where you now have direct access to the Heavenly Father. You are an adopted child of God, and you can go to your Heavenly Father. And you as believers, we're now brothers and sisters in Christ. In John chapter 13, Jesus called his disciples servants when he washed their feet. And we can understand that. Servants, Jesus is the master, he's the rabbi, they're the students, servants. Okay, in John chapter 15, Jesus takes it a step further and calls them friends. You're my friends. But here, he gives the most intimate of language and says, go tell my brothers. Because we are now family. We are now blood-bought brothers and sisters in Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection and have direct access to our heavenly father who is our God you see we no longer relate to God if you're a Christian you no longer relate to God as a judge who can send you to hell lost people relate to God that way he's their judge but as a believer you relate to God as your father and the father says I will never let you go as we sang earlier That's why 1 John 3 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. And we are. Now, notice in verse 18 what Mary does. She goes and announces that she has seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. Mary was the last at the cross. She was instrumental in Jesus' burial. She's the first at the empty tomb. She's the first person to have the risen Christ appear to her. And now, guess what? She's the first person to share the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. To whom? To the apostles who are out hiding She's become an apostle to the apostles. Now, it's very significant that Jesus first appears to Mary Magdalene. Notice he appears to her first. He doesn't appear to Peter, doesn't appear to John, doesn't appear to the power brokers, doesn't appear to all these people that would be in high positions, but he, he, he appears to a humble woman who's known oppression. And what this shows us is how Jesus reaches the outcasts of society, especially in that day. In a male-dominated society of that day, women had no rights, especially if you were not married. We do not know if Mary Magdalene was married. She's probably single. So she probably has no rights. She's had a, a past of seven demons. She is, She's on the low the lowest rung of the totem pole in that culture of anybody you would trust to share the message of the gospel. And that's who Jesus chooses to go share the gospel first. An outcast, a woman who'd been oppressed, someone who nobody would listen to in a male-dominated society. And that shows us that Christ always comes first to the poor in spirit to those who know their need for him. That's why in Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, here's the thing with Mary. And here's the thing with you. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. And those who love much, share much. Mary had been radically transformed by Jesus and the power of the gospel. She never got over it. She had been forgiven much. And as a result, she loved much. She poured her life out to Jesus. She passionately pursued him to the very end. And not only that, the overflow of that led her to go share much. She was the first one to go share the gospel with those that needed to hear the good news. She couldn't contain herself. I have a question for you this morning a question that's maybe plagued me this week. And maybe it's a question that all of us need to ask ourselves. Are you plagued by a casual Christianity? Are you lukewarm in your affections for Christ? Maybe you're not having that, dis- that passionate display of... of 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 intensity for Jesus that maybe you've had in the past. Maybe your relationship with Him right now is in a dry spell. Here's the problem for many of us. If you find yourself in that situation, you think way too little of your sin and you think way too little of your salvation. You see, you don't stand in awe that you were once separated from a holy God. And he had no right to save you, but he did now it may not have been seven demons that you were released from, but every single one of you here if you were a uh, if you're a Christian, you have been liberated from the bondage of sin, and that's not something you should get over. and somehow we've gotten over that. Our Christianity's become comfortable. yeah, I'm forgiven. yeah, Jesus saved me. yeah, I'm going to heaven. What's next on TV? What's the next podcast? What's the next this? We've we've lost the wonder of our salvation. And until you understand the pit out of which God saved you, you will never understand the mercy and the grace and the love of God in your hearts to go serve him. You see, we go with the hope of Jesus to those who are hopeless. If you've been forgiven much, and if a Christian you have been, then we should love much. Passionately love Jesus. And if we have been forgiven much and we love much, we should go share much. We should go share the gospel with those that need to hear the hope that we have. And see, here's the beauty for us today. You and I can actually spend time grabbing on to Jesus for dear life. Now, I know he's not here. I know he's in heaven. He's not physically on here on earth. But by faith, we can grab on to Jesus. Listen to how Paul puts it. Paul had this burning passion to know Jesus more passionately, to know Jesus more deeply, to know Jesus more intimately. In Philippians chapter 3, 10 through 12, Paul says that I may know him. I think the NIV says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I might attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now, a little bit of translation problem there. ESV says, I press on to make it my own. Jesus has made me his own. In the literal language, that word means tackle. It can be translated like this. Because Jesus has tackled me, I want to keep tackling him. And those of you that are football fans understand that a little bit more deeply. Because Jesus grabbed hold of me and sovereign grace and salvation, I in turn want to grab a hold of him. That's the word Paul uses in the original language there, to grab on to Jesus. Now, obviously, we grab on to Jesus by faith. We don't literally grab onto his feet like Mary Magdalene. We grab onto him by faith. One of my favorite verses from the Psalms, it's probably been one of my favorite verses for probably the past, maybe about the past 15, 20 years, is from Psalm 63, 8. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. My soul clings to Now, I'm going to teach you a Hebrew word, and you've got to say it back to me, okay? The word for cling there is davak. Can you say that? Davak. I love that word. Hebrew is such a great language. It's a strong word in the original language. My soul, davaks to you. Back in Genesis 2.24, it was used of a man and woman becoming one flesh and clinging to one another. They davak to one another. They clung to one another. It's this word of loyalty and devotion and clinging. Moses used it to talk about being faithful to the Lord who fought their battles in Deuteronomy 10, 20-21. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve Him and davak, hold fast to Him. And by His name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. You shall serve Him and you shall davak. To God, Proverbs eighteen twenty four. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who devotes closer than a brother, sticks closer than a brother. I mean, this words used all throughout the Old Testament. Husband and wife, the most intimate relationship. Friend to friend, intimate relationship. Uh, uh, this this whole idea of clinging, grabbing, holding on to God for dear life. This loyalty and devotion. And what David is saying in this psalm is, my soul grabs onto you, Jesus. My soul holds onto you. My soul clings to you and your right hand upholds me. You know, sometimes all you can do is grab on for dear life to Jesus. That's why we sing the song, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. And here's the beauty for you and me. When you grab on to Jesus for dear life, He does not look down to you and say, stop holding on to me. Stop grabbing on to me. That was a point in time that he told Mary for a very specific reason because his job had not been fulfilled yet to appear to his disciples for the next 40 days and ascend to his father. It was a very specific situation. But for you and me today by faith, you can grab on to Jesus as hard as you can by his grace. And he never says, stop clinging to me. Here's my question. I wonder if today we have this passion to spend and be spent for Jesus. What I mean by that is, do you love Jesus enough that you will passionately give your life to him And you will share the gospel with others. That's the whole sum and substance of the Christian life. Those who've been forgiven much, love much, and they share much. If you are a Christian, you've been forgiven much, have you not? And as a result, we should love Jesus with all of our heart. We should cling to him. We should passionately pursue him. And then we should also share much. Don't just keep that to ourselves, but to go tell people. Like Mary did, she went and she told the disciples, I have seen the Lord. This passion is not something that can be faked or manufactured. I I can't stand up here and say, okay, get your pens out because I'm going to give you seven steps to get more passionate for Jesus. Are you ready? Here's the seven. I can't do that. You can't just drum up passion. You can't manufacture this zeal. So how does it come? It comes when you daily remind yourself I was once lost. I was once blinded by Satan. I was once in a pit of bondage to sin. And by God's sovereign grace, for reasons unknown to me, he reached down and rescued me out of that. And I'm not going to get over that. And because I've been transformed, I want to live a life of love for my Savior. I'm going to passionately pursue him I'm going to grab on to him I'm going to grab on for dear life and in the process I'm going to go tell as many people possible about this Jesus that saved me so we can save them I was once hopeless I found hope let me go share the hope with those that are going to hell see the only way you can really truly have passion for Jesus is by reminding yourself what Jesus has done for you If you've been forgiven much, you love much. And if you love much, you share much. So here's my question for you. Have you been forgiven much? If you're a Christian here this morning, you need to nod your head and say, yes, I've been forgiven much. I'm sure if we went around this room, and we won't do this for the sake of time and for the sake of privacy, and we talked about our stories, we talked about our sin, and we talked about our past, and we talked about what God has rescued out of us, we would all be in tears to see the miraculous grace of how God has saved us. And we wouldn't get over that. And as we encourage one another, as we talk about that, and as we daily remind ourselves of the gospel, then it's through the power of the Holy Spirit we're motivated to to love Jesus, to passionately grab on to Jesus. And those that are passionate for Jesus don't keep it to themselves. We'll see this next week. Those that are passionate for Jesus don't keep it to themselves. They share it. You've got to share it. If you're not sharing the gospel, then something's wrong. Those who've been forgiven much love much. And those who love much share much. Have you been forgiven much? Do you love much? And are you sharing much? And here's the hope. It's all because of the empty tomb. So Jesus may be calling to you this morning, not Mary, but your voice as a sheep. And when he calls you, will you turn around? and fall at his feet and say, my Savior, my Lord, I grab on to you for dear life because I love you. And Jesus says, grab on. But while you're grabbing on, make sure you go and tell because there's a dying world that needs to hear the hope of the gospel. Those who have been forgiven much love much, and those who love much share much. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. we've been saved from the bondage of our sin you have reached down in sovereign grace and done a work, a miraculous work in our hearts of granting a saving faith in Jesus Christ that's not something we have earned or something we deserve or something that you're obligated to give us but you've given it to us because of your great love. And Lord, we may never get over that. Will we daily remind ourselves of the fact that I am such a bad sinner, but I have such a great Savior. And focus our attention upon you, Jesus. May we desire you. May we long for you. May we grab a hold of you. May we passionately pursue you. In Jesus, may we also share you. Will we go to others and say, I've seen the Lord. There's an empty tomb. There's a Savior who can save you from your sins. His name's Jesus. Of all people, Lord, we've been forgiven much. We should love much, and we should go share much. And we need your power and grace to do it. So Lord, I ask in my own heart and all of our hearts this morning, that you would give us a burning passion to love you more deeply, to share you more boldly, to remember our forgiveness more frequently. And in all things, we would do everything for the glory of Christ. Lord, you may be calling some lost sheep this morning. And I'm thankful for the effectual call that when the shepherd calls a lost sheep, they hear the voice of the shepherd and they will come. And so, Father, my prayer is you'd call those that are lost this morning and that today would be their day of salvation. For those of us that are already saved, will we love much and share much? the glory of christ lord help us we need your help we need your grace we need your encouragement we need the encouragement of one another lord that's why we're a church family to encourage one another in this thank you jesus for being our savior it's in your name that we pray these things amen